Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. I find music a useful distraction. A focused tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. Hi, Tommy. Hello, sir. How are you, JJ? Very, very good. And I'm glad to be talking with you today. You suggested a great movie for us in November. When you looked at next month, how did you find your top picks? Why don't you tell us all about it? I think I have some sort of internal Google alert. 
set for David Fincher. <laughs> Whenever he has a project coming out, uh, I always sort of know about it. And so when I saw that The Killer was finally coming out, something that I've been anxiously looking forward to, it shot to the top. That's awesome. We The film board is going to be talking about The Killer in November, and it actually has been released in some select theaters around the around the country. Mm-hmm. And I know that we know of folks in and around the world. We know of people in Australia that have seen it. We know of people in uh, Arizona that have seen it. And it is set to be released on Netflix on Friday, November 10th. And that's when we're planning to talk about it. So look for a fresh podcast out out of the oven that following week. But before we get to that tantalizing main course, we have a special tasty chat to share around with you today as Tommy and I welcome director of photography for The Killer, Eric Messerschmidt. Howdy, Eric. Hi, guys. How's it going? Hi. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited oh, to pleasure. be talking to you. Happy what, to be here. Happy what, to be here. What can you tell us about The Killer? How did you come to the film? How did I come to the film? Well, you know, um, where was I? I? I was shooting a film called Devotion in Georgia, mm-hmm. and uh, and David... David sent me a text message. He said, Hey, do you want to shoot the killer? I said, what's the killer? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, Oh, I'll send you a script. Right. I'll send you a script. Take a look. And, um, and it went from there, you know, and I read the script and, and called him back. I said, sure, I'll do this. Cool. When do we start? And, uh, he said, when are you available? And, um, and it. we just, uh, we immediately went and scouted. So it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty quick. It was not a, you know, when David calls you to do a movie, it's not a long conversation in your head about whether or not you're going to do it. You know, <laughs> I was going to say a text from David is better than Tommy's Google alert for when a Fincher movie is coming <laughs> available. But we're super excited to see it. Um, uh, we're planning on doing it sort of synchronous with the Netflix release. Are there uh, are there any sequences? What you know, maybe without large spoilers, that were particularly challenging or rewarding that you think, from a DP standpoint, that we should keep an eye out for. Well, I mean, the you know, the the hopefully the movie is appreciated, uh, you know, as a whole, you know, I mean, I think that the um, nothing, nothing is ever easy, you know, I mean, hopefully, hopefully not, actually. I mean, it's like, I, I, I worry when the movie is easy, you know, when something's easy, it's like, oh, God, this, what, are, what are we doing wrong? You know? Mm, yeah. Um, the, the movie is a, is a film about precision and control. I mean, that's what the character, you know, the characters, his sort of resting state is, is in one of of, of um, extreme control and and, uh, and so we use the camera very much to support that idea you know, hopefully awesome. and uh, and so that you know there's we're trying to use the camera in in ways that 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 support his state of mind so hopefully the audience picks up on that you know but there, I mean there's a sequence there's a fight sequence in the film that's that's quite elaborate that's several several minutes long that, that um, was an extraordinary amount of work so you know we're certainly proud of that but uh, but you know I think I hope people see the whole movie as, as 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 one piece of work, you know. With precision and control, does that mean maybe the opposite of a lot of handheld? Is it very sort of locked down, a lot of sticks, a lot of Well, yeah, I mean we, we sort of we experiment with that a bit, you know. I mean it's the the you know, so much of cinema today is pointing the camera at actors and actors saying the words, you know. Um <laughs> right. I, I just think it's, I think cinema is more than that. You know, it's, it, it it's, and there's, we're, you know, there, there are parts in the film anyway, where we're trying to be very balletic, you know, with the connection between, between Fassbender and, 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 and the operator and the dolly grip, you know, where they're, they're really functioning as one unit, mm. uh, you know, almost like they're in, they're in a tango, you know, so it's, you know, Brian Osmond, the operator and, and Dwayne Barr, the, the dolly grip and, and, and Michael are, are rehearsing everything together so that they're they're in, in complete lockstep. Uh, there are other 
points in the film you'll see you know when when michael's character makes mistakes or he's sort of out of his comfort zone where we get into handheld and the, and the, and the camera breaks free a little bit you know and hopefully that's to show that discord yeah that's the idea anyway you know um so you know it's um you know, and this is a character who is who really never lets anyone within his his personal space and suddenly the camera's there you know so this it's very much a conversation i think is a cinematic conversation about subjectivity and objectivity and and you know we we take the camera and we put it just a little bit closer than you normally would and mm. so it's we're sort of right in, right inside his personal space all the time uh when he's alone you know um so there's you know there's there's bits of that and I never really want the audience to pick up on the camera work. It's like, I hope they appreciate the movie, you know, and then on a second or third viewing, they can go back and say, okay, what did they do here and here, here, et cetera. But and it's like, my biggest fear is that it becomes the, the, the photography becomes distracting from the story, you know, that that's kind of like editing that sometimes if you really notice an editor's work, yeah, unless it was supposed to be that way, then they haven't done their job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, when you put on a great suit, you know, hopefully someone doesn't, you know, you don't walk down the street and someone says, God, who tailored this? You know, it's like, <laughs> you want people to say, wow, that looks great, you know, um, and and then the conversation can be, oh, who was the tailor? You know, so it's, right. I kind of think of it that way, you know, it's like, you, you want, you know, you want the film to be appreciated as a movie. I think we appreciate that kind of filmmaking, too. Tommy and I are both big fans of some of your TV work as well. Um, you know, the, some of the stuff that you've oh, done thank is you. like Legion and, and, and mm. Mindhunters. Legion, I mean, just speaking personally, Legion's like my favorite my favorite TV that I've seen in like the last two decades. So I'm that a was fun. huge fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. That both, was so much fun. And like you're talking about there, they're both incredibly visual, you know, with uh, with and then, you know, yeah. What kind of differences do you have of working with Fincher or like Noah Hawley there and they're, you know, doing that sort of incredibly visual setup, but then different styles between those types of things? The joy of being a cinematographer is you get thrown into other people's machines. You know, you get you, and, and, I, and I look for filmmakers who have a, you know, generally have a kind of refined practice in place that they've already kind of developed you know i think filmmakers over the course of their careers they 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 um they learn how they want to make films you know and they they sort of they start to they start to curate their process uh, in interesting ways and they're all different you know every filmmaker is different and the things they respond to the things that the, you know the 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 kind of nuts and bolts way they want to run the set, the the way they interact with actors, the way they interact with with a cinematographer, you know. Um, And, you know, in the case of David, David has a very refined, very specific methodology that, that, you know, is relatively consistent, um, film to film anyway. Um, The movies are not consistent, you know. I mean, movies are all different, I think. Um, And, and, you know, he he certainly has, has... aesthetic tendencies i guess you could say um and noah's the same way you know noah you know responds to certain things he sees the world in a in a different way and you know so it's your job as a cinematographer to come into their you know their world and 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 try to see the world through their eyes you know i think and i mean i really believe you know the director is um you know is the boss and it's the director's film it's the director's project and, and it's your job to support support their their intention yeah that's awesome i you know we 
we look at Fargo and Legion and Mindhunters closer to filmmaking than traditional television as far as yeah. their visuals go. Is there any differences then when you think about working for like a streaming service to to, to network TV or like or FX than, than working on a film when you think about those the differences there? Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the biggest difference uh, in in every television show that I've done, you know, the, a, a different director does every episode. You know, or sometimes they do, you know, they'll do a pair of episodes, but that dramatically changes the dynamic. Uh, and it, you know, it brings another person into the conversation, you know, in the case of Legion anyway, and Mindhunter and, and Fargo, um, you know, the showrunners, Noah and, and Fincher, um, were, were, were very involved in, in kind of the, 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 the aesthetic, the corralling of the aesthetic, you know, um, and, and, and the DP plays a bigger role in that, in that that position uh than than you typically do on, on a film because you're not you know you're not experiencing a guest director coming in and saying oh well i want to i want to handhold the camera and run through the house and you sort of have to say well we don't really do that on fargo you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um you know that's a that's a very different dynamic than you would have on a feature film where you know you're you're developing one thing with one director and, um you know it doesn't mean it's bad or you know good or bad by the way it's just it's just different you know um and it's kind of the cool thing about about series television too is you get uh, you know every 15 days or whatever you get a fresh voice in there you know i didn't see star wars projected until i was like 19 years old yeah you know and i uh, but i probably saw it 50 times yeah i think it was the same for me because i don't think i saw it until they brought him back <laughs> right you know yeah, exactly exactly you know and and i i and by the way it's not the original film you know right it's different um, yeah and but you know so the version of the film that I saw that I fell in love with that made me want to make movies was in the wrong aspect ratio on a VHS cassette on a CRT television you right. know uh, not letterboxed and and it made me want to make movies you know there are all sorts of reasons why the movie is a better experience in a the theater but I can't I can't with good conscience come up and say you only need to watch movies in the cinema you know I mean I think yeah. we we make movies to reach people. Uh, most of the early experiences I had that that made me love cinema were appreciated on home video just because of the resources I had as a 14 year old kid, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just I, I can't stand on the soapbox and and, and preach. Um, you know, I I will, however, say it's look, it's clearly a better experience in the cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that uh, assuming the cinema is properly maintained, by the way, I mean, there's, you know. Right. Uh, there's plenty there's plenty the exhibitors can do to improve the experience for the audience and should do you know it's like there's there's more to running a cinema than changing the bulb when the uh when it burns out you know yeah um you know the, you, hopefully as a filmmaker you reach as many people as you can and you inspire them and you you make them think about the world in a different way and if if, if that means they have to view it on on their ipad so be it at least they see the movie you know yeah well and, and that makes me think of mank too because you know we did a full episode on mank uh, for this show for the film board when it came out and of course you know it's in the middle of the pandemic and all these things and everybody's kind of trying to figure out their space and we all really loved it by the way <laughs> thank you thank you working with black and white in mang you know is is there is there is that a limiting experience is that freeing is it is it both in some ways you know what with the different set of uh, camera and lighting that goes along with black and white how do you approach that well, if, if we're thinking about different than, you know, the big screen to streaming? I think cinema is about limiting yeah. fundamentally. You know, it's that it's what we do. You know, we put we we 
um, we take the camera and we exclude things from the frame. You know, right. we don't really in, in it's I don't think of it as I'm including something in the frame. Sure. You know, I, it's all about what are we taking away? What are we eliminating? You know, it's it's the same way with lighting, but it's it's really that way with 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 framing, you know, and um, and black and white is just an extension of that idea. You know, it's it's so I would say it's 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 limiting in a in a in a creatively fulfilling way, you know, cool. Um, and we do the same thing when we shoot color, by the way, you know, it's like, you know, your iPhone captures every every color imaginable that you know that your eye can see it's really good at replicating human vision and then you turn on cinematic mode and it starts to eliminate colors <laughs> you know right. what i mean i mean that's what we do you know that's what we do with filtrations we do color grading that's what we do so um you know the black and white is just an extreme version of that i think um but it you know it's for me i love the experience because it's it's such a it distills photography down into the very bare elements of you know like shadow and shape and texture and you're not, you know, you don't, you don't have to make the same, you're, you're making very different visual choices. You know, it's, it's why, you know, if you shoot something in color and then you convert it to black and white, it never looks great because yeah. it's just, it's not the same thing, you know? It's different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of my favorite sequences in make uh, were, I, I don't, sorry, I started the sentence before I knew what to call it. Maybe those parlor sequences. It's those sort of uh -huh. uh, vicious circle of Dorothy Parker when they're all like in the sitting room, all sort of tearing sure. each other apart. It's so deceptively simple because it seems so contained. And yet you have characters everywhere at all different parts, all relating to each other. That seems like a thrill, a thrilling experience, and also a nightmare to try to figure out how to light and make it so the lighting isn't where, you, like you say, you don't notice who tailored the suit. It all works yeah. seamlessly and perfectly. But I'm just blown away by by sequences like that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I don't really associate cinematography with photography. Mm -hmm. I don't think of it first like that. Like I don't, I don't think they're in the same. You know, when I think about photography, I think about the placement and position of the camera and what you're, you know, what you're putting in the frame and how you're how you're selecting that stuff. The, you know, the lighting, the exposure part of it is a secondary kind of almost janitorial responsibility of, of the cinematographer, the photographer. You know, you have to expose the frame properly. But really what's important is what you're putting in the shot, you know, mm -hmm. and how you're assembling it. And then in cinema, you know, it's it's how are those shots, how those shots relate to each other. So my favorite part, I mean, the thing that I I really enjoy about the process is the conversation with the director about how we're going to, how we're going to structure the scene, you know, where we're going to put the camera, how we're going to cleave the scene apart. How, you know, when we, when we cross the line, when we're dogmatic with screen direction, uh, you know, how important is it for the audience to understand what's going on in the, in the space and understand the geography of the space and when is it not relevant, et cetera. You know, those, those things I think are, are deeply psychological and really important for the audience. The lighting kind of thing for me is all informed by those decisions later. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I would love to stand here and be like, oh, well, the, you know, I read the scene and it it just, uh, you know, the character just seemed green to me. So we lit him green. I just think that's bullshit. I just don't <laughs> think that's true. You know, and you can tell yourself whatever. But I think, you know, where you put the camera and, and the relationship and the editorial relationship between shots is far more powerful in terms of the audience's experience than what color the back wall is, you know, right. um, all the rest of that is just sort of sensibility, you know, and, and taste and okay, well, this seems relevant or, or realism or hyper realism or whatever, you know, but, but for me, it's like, 
you know, cinema, it, it is Hitchcock Truffaut. It is the conversation about the, the assembly of, of, of images and how they relate to each other, you know. And that is like, for me, that's what cinematography is, you know. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to those scenes, that's very much what, what all of that was about. Right. Uh, you know, working with uh, director Fincher, when you have those conversations, do you have a lot of those before filming even begins? Or are you going to a set? living there for a second and then making those decisions. I guess how, if there is storyboarding, how strict is the storyboarding? We generally don't storyboard when I work with David. Mm. Um, wow. We generally, we generally speak really quickly to each other and we're sort of in as a very fast shorthand, you know, from here, right? Yeah. And then we'll do the over and then the close up, and then we'll get that POV there. And then we're going to cross the line there. You know, it's like, it's this kind of rapid fire thing yeah. um, that we've developed over the years. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I, I think storyboarding is really useful when um, when you have to describe something logistically to 60 people, you know, um, mm. or you're on a commercial and they're paying by the shot and, the you know, the agency wants to make sure that they're getting what they pay for, you know, so it's right. like, but I, I think it can be, it can also be very insulting to actors, you know, mm. because, because, you know, there's, I just don't, I don't know that you can bring an actor into the space and you can say, okay, you're going to stand there and you're going to look to the left without context for why you know and you can show them the storyboard well look at this and i'm really interested in this background and i would just want you to stand i think the actor deserves more than that you know i think it's there's there's more to it than that you know when when we when we go into a space you know a set anyway an interior set where we can control the lighting it's like okay well what makes sense okay well mank has to enter the they're all sitting at the dining table and mank has to enter and then he has to give this speech and he has to walk around, right? And he has to look at all these people. And who does he look at? Okay, well, it makes sense. Hearst should be in the middle. He's, you know, he's hosting the party. He should be in the middle. So that makes, and then you sort of like lay it out what makes sense, I think. And then you run the scene and you watch and you look at the timing. And then that, to me, informs the, informs the shot design. It doesn't mean you don't go there and say, well, I know we're going to need a wide shot to establish the relationship between everything. Right. I know that we're going to need, you know, uh, you know, and I think in the case of that scene anyway, you know, David said, oh, well. I like the idea of him orbiting the congregation, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a discussion that he had with Gary, you know, and that's a discussion he had with, with, with the actors and say, look, I need this and I want you to stop here and have an interaction. You know, I, I, I don't think it's, you get the same scene. If you say, look, Gary, you're going to come in, you're going to, you're going to walk around the table six times and you're going to stop here on this line. I think that's very restrictive for an actor. And, and I don't know that it yields the best reality i think you can always find the right shot or you can find a quote-unquote interesting shot while simultaneously giving the actor room to 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 work out what the scene is you know what you know i by on the other on the other hand though i don't think that just means we'll just do whatever you want we'll follow you either right. you know it's it's it sort of has to come holistically but uh but yeah i mean i i i don't generally think i mean i think if you're doing a car chase and you have to figure out which streets to close and where they you know where the stunt driver is going to enter a really good situation for for a storyboard right yeah you know if you're doing a really elaborate visual effects sequence where where the actors are in front of a green screen and they don't know where to look and you have to lay out screen direction and show well this is the monster's over there you know storyboard's really helpful or, or a previs or something you know but you know i think that's to me that's sort of the limit of where it starts to become useful that makes a lot of sense yeah and i mean we know that fincher is kind of legendary for doing a lot of takes and how much of that involves tweaks to the the visuals of the film, to the things that you're doing from a camera perspective versus, you know, if it's letting actors get into the right headspace or giving another take or that kind of stuff? How much of that involves your process as well? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's sculpture, you know, yeah. it's, I, I, I don't, I, I, well, I mean, first of all, I think it's been, it's been slightly hyperbolized. Oh, okay. Good to you know. know. <laughs> um, I mean, there are situations where we do many and there's situations where we do 10, you know, or six. There, there is a process of discovery when you're shooting. I mean, there's a process of discovery when you're setting up and you're rehearsing, right? And then you get the camera in place and you get the lighting in place and you get the actor in place and you run the, you run the scene a couple times. And then you start to see things unfold, you know, and, and God, that was interesting. When you pause there, you pause there before, mm. um, but you didn't do it in the last take. Can we try that again and see, because that might motivate. It's an evolution. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's, I like, okay. But if you pause there, like we should, maybe we should just put a little bit more light there because I think now we're going to need a close up. And, you know, it's like, I like it. so, you know, I think that that's. That's really what we're doing, and it's also you know refining a dolly move, refining operating, refining composition, maybe changing a lens, you know things like that. It's like it's it's a process, and you know I mean I have a lot of friends who are actors, and I've been to a lot of plays, and I, very rarely have I been to a play the opening, you know like for example you know you go to a play the opening night, and then you go to the closing night, and you go have, you know you go have a drink afterwards and you celebrate the play, you know very rarely has it been better the opening night than it has the closing night. I mean I would say almost universally it's always better the last night you know yeah. or the very end of the run because the actors are just more natural they're you know they're they they're not struggling to remember the dialogue they're not thinking about the next line they, it, it comes it's reflexive they it, you know they're not looking for the marks on the floor they're you know they the the, the blocking has been refined over the course of you know you you know it, it happens in place it's like god you know the last six nights have stopped here but it really would make a lot more sense if i stopped here okay cool we're gonna adjust the light there you know that's what it is yeah um and, you know, I think that, you know, the number of takes thing is used against David sometimes as a pejorative. And I just don't mm. understand that. It's like, no, guys, like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is about this is about making something better almost always, you know. And on the 15th take, you still have the 10th. Right. right. Yeah. But at least you went there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, look, if the fourth take is better, like it's it, it's it's in the can, man, you know, but we, we, we tried and yeah, we didn't find anything better, you know, um, to me, that's always better than like, well, that's, that's pretty good. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, and you're yeah. there. I mean, just, I know maybe it's a little bit more apropos to smaller budget things, but like you, it's very hard to go back. Like if you're there doing it's, more it, takes when you're there, uh, cause you, you can absolutely. never choose footage that you never got. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, why would you, why would you spend $50,000 building a set, $20,000 lighting it, bring 60 people there and do two, right? right. You know, like we nailed it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like you sure. Okay. You know, I mean, look, it doesn't, doesn't mean spontaneity doesn't have a place and it's not sure. sometimes, you know, sometimes the second one is the best, you know, sometimes some actors are like, look, I just, I, I got to, you know, someone's crying and they're really emotional and they have to get to, you know, and it's like, it takes a long time for them to get there and you can, you know, but, you know, films are made in, most films I think are made in, you know, they're, they're editorially assembled in continuity. And so, you know, if, if you, you know, if you have a scene that requires six pieces, of, six shots, six pieces of coverage or whatever, and it's a really emotional scene, you know, that, that person's going to have to get there six times right. or maybe, you know, and if they can't, okay, well, that's going to force us to do this in two shots. And, you know, the, the, it's like all this dynamics affect each other. You know, it's, it's a, it's a Venn diagram. It's not, right. there's no one size fits all answer, you know? Yeah. 
It makes sense. And, and, and sort of bringing it back to the killer, because that's the, the big thing that we're talking about here for November. And, and we know that some of the folks in our community have already seen it, which is really exciting. But is there anything that we should know before we go? And when I say that, kind of thinking about your role with the film and, and what to do, is, is there something that was in your process that kind of came up to the overall look or visual theme of what's there? What should we know about the killer and how it looks as we go to see it? The movie is is very much a, a, a cinematic conversation about subjectivity, I think, hmm. and 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 point of view, and um, you know, it's it's a character who never allows anyone in his personal space. Uh, he's always sort of uh, apart, a distant from you know, he's he's hiding amongst everyone else, but he doesn't interact. And I, you know, I, I thought that was really interesting to be in a, a to put the camera in someone's space where they never allow anybody else. <laughs> You know, and we're, you know, so we're constantly cutting between his point of view, watching, you know, his target or watching the world and experiencing the world, not as a participant, but as a as a silent observer. And then we and then we switch. And now we're silently observing him that I found I found particularly interesting. You know, there's very little dialogue in the movie. So it's it's there's voiceover, but there's very little dialogue. So it's it's it's, it's you know, it's a character study to some degree, I think, you know. Love it. I love the shifting perspective there too of the of the character and then the audience embodying the character in 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 a way um, of, sure. of what he's doing. It's very instructive and interesting. I think that's we're we're super excited to see it. Good. I can't I can't wait to hear what you think. Awesome, Tommy. Did you have any other questions before we wrap up here? Uh, I think I am very happy, and I'm so glad that you were able to join us. This was a wonderful conversation. My my pleasure, guys. Thank you for being so open to sharing this kind of like the the, the behind the scenes stuff because that's you know kind of what the next reel is about is kind of going in depth about the whole film and entertainment experience. So we're extremely cool. thankful to have this time with you. No, my pleasure. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Awesome, and everybody out there when listening to this, uh, you know, the film board's going to be. A, a, Taking a look at The Killer, coming out on Netflix on November November 10th. We'll be talking about it on the 11th, so you should see something showing up in your feeds shortly after that. For Tommy and myself, we'll talk to you later. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? 
Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.